Welcome back to the Live the Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Mo Banks, and I'm incredibly excited for season two of this podcast. Last season, we bridged the past and the present as we heard three powerful stories of people who were fighting for voting rights 50 years ago. We learned what tactics they used, how they kept hope alive, and how similar the fight for voting rights is today. This season, we'll be bridging the present with the future. Who are the voting rights advocates in this very moment? How do they see the current landscape of voting rights in this country? And what advice do they have for the next generation of voting rights advocates? Before we begin, I want to remind everyone that at the time of the recording of this season of the podcast, we were witnessing the most egregious attack on voting rights of our generation. More than 425 bills with provisions that restrict voting access were introduced in 49 states in 2021 alone. 19 states enacted 33 laws that made it harder for Americans to vote. And federal voting rights legislation failed to pass through Congress four different times. The bedrock of our democracy is our right to vote. And our democracy is in danger. So as we listen to this season of the Live the Legacy podcast, keep in mind the immense amount of work that must be done. But find hope in hearing the stories of current activists and future activists as they discuss how they're fighting to save our democracy. In this first episode, we are joined by Aklima Kondoker, the Chief Legal Officer at the New Georgia Project. Before joining the New Georgia Project, Aklima served as the Georgia State Director for All Voting is Local, a campaign within the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, which is a group of over 200 national organizations that work to promote and protect the civil rights of individuals in America. During the 2020 election cycle in Georgia, Aklima worked to expand voting access statewide, including adding ballot drop boxes, opening early voting sites in communities of color, and advocating for ballot access expansion through effective election administration at both the state and the county level. Aklima has spent most of her legal career making sure that others get a fair shot. I think it's safe to say that she's committed to local and national initiatives that both serve the community and give everyone a voice through their vote. Aklima will be interviewed by none other than Christina Williams. Christina is a Philadelphia native and a senior at Clark Atlanta University, where she is currently pursuing a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science as a Provost Academic Excellence and Dean's List Scholar. She is a leader in the student civic engagement space and has extensive experience serving in various elected student government positions, as well as founding and presiding over several campus clubs and initiatives, including CAU Votes. Christina has gained experience through fellowships and internships with several nationally recognized civic organizations, including ACLU of Georgia, the Andrew Goodman Foundation, Campus Vote Project, Common Cause, Ignite National, Public Citizen, and Rock the Vote. Go, Christina! She has also been highlighted by a number of media outlets, including the National Journal, NPR, and the Washington Post. Christina aspires to attend law school following her undergraduate studies in order to become an attorney 
and utilize the law as a tool to defend the civil rights and civil liberties of marginalized communities. Without further ado, let's dive in to our first episode of the season. Thank you again, Aklima, for being here with us today. If you could just introduce yourself, what you do, and the mission of the organization that you currently work with. My name is Aklima Kondoker, and I am the Chief Legal Officer of the New Georgia Project, the New Georgia Project Action Fund. The New Georgia Project's mission is to register and civically engage with all youth and underserved communities across the state of Georgia. To date, we have helped to register over half a million um, voters in the state. We're very proud of that. And we want to continue to uplift the issues that are important to both youth voters, but underserved people in the community. Thank you. For that, I hope our audience is doing a virtual hand clap because you all are out here really doing the work. And speaking of doing the work, what drew you to work in voting rights? And can you describe the actual moment that you know you needed to become an advocate for voting rights? Sure. So I come from a non-traditional background. Um, I initially was not even thinking about law school. I was going to go to medical school. And um, I set my sights on becoming a psychiatrist. And so for some time, I worked as a researcher. I also worked as a crisis center counselor. And in my time working as a counselor, I noted that a lot of the issues that I would help to resolve um, were domestic violence issues that women were facing. And though I can help women with their issue when it comes to that crisis moment, if they want to harm themselves, if they want to take their own lives, I could help them out of that moment, but they had this larger lingering issue that was related to their legal rights. Many of the people that we helped were undocumented. They were also in uh, domestic violence environments that made it very difficult for them to be self-fulfilled or have any sort of autonomy in their lives. And so that is the moment that prompted me to go to law school. And while I had to make my law school selection, I chose to go to Atlanta's John Marshall Law School. Shout out to that law school because they are a public interest law school in Atlanta where Professor uh, Rapping, the founder of Gideon's Promise, um, is uh, teaching. I was drawn to that school because I was very much inspired by helping women and helping those who are marginalized and finding the best way to do that. So in my time in law school, I began to realize in a more deliberate way, the way voting rights hinge the rest of our rights. So when it has, so thinking about women's rights, the issue of making sure that women and females can realize their own autonomy, that has a lot to do with their access to the ballot. The representatives that they vote for are going to be the ones to make decisions about their access to their own freedom, access if you are someone who is undocumented, access to resources for immigrant rights. If you are someone who is a female or a woman 
access to critical care that you may also need that may not otherwise be available to you. Voting rights, voting for that representative is going to get you access to what you need for your own life, for your own freedom, for you to self-realize yourself and your humanity in your community. So that's what pushed me into voting rights. And I, I started my career working at the ACLU, um, where happily I was able to not only work on voting rights, but work on women's rights issues, racial justice issues, LGBTQ plus issues, all of these issues that are very important to me and important for everybody's individuality and humanity within their communities. So that is what drew me there and understanding that all of our rights really hinge on the right to vote is what pushed me into working on voting rights because we can't do anything else if we cannot access the ballot. Yeah. I want to walk it back and really highlight something that you said throughout that. It's the fact that all of our rights hinge on the right to vote. And I think that as a young organizer, that's something that I really rely on when I'm speaking to my peers and trying to relay how, how important the right to vote is. Um, and I think that's a really important aspect of helping encourage young people to vote and be more civically engaged because it helps you relate things to them personally um, and all the other issues that we care about relating that to how we can achieve that through voting. So I wanted to highlight that because I think it's really important. And now that we've talked about the importance of the vote, we're going to talk a little bit about how that importance is under attack. So at the time of this interview, 19 states have enacted 33 laws to make it harder for Americans to vote. Do these types of anti-voter laws being passed impact young people's ability to vote? And if so, how and why? They absolutely do. And I think the most obvious way that this impacts voting is when you're a young person and you're introduced to the democratic process for the first time, it's likely an overwhelming process. There are a lot of laws that are written in using specific language that makes it more difficult for people to understand. And a lot of people may not know who's on their ballot, what these different seats are in government and how that's important to their communities. A lot of young people may not know that. And this is because number one, as I mentioned, that information is inaccessible to most people. It's written in a way that is um, clunky and hard to understand. But also if you are a student who is in another state pursuing your, your school studies, you may change your residency to that state. And as you're doing that, you may also not be familiar with the politics of that state. It can feel like a full-time job job to just understand what that process is. If you are a student who's still voting in your home state and you have to request an absentee ballot, a lot of the restrictions that we've seen in these new anti-voter laws specifically attack absentee voting. For example, in the state of Georgia, under SB 202, people used to have um, about 180 days to request their absentee ballot, to, to go ahead and, and get their absentee ballot so they could vote by mail. Unfortunately, under the new law, they have a, about 76 days to make that request. So for someone who is you know, pursuing studies abroad, now the process of voting absentee, if you are in a state like Georgia, is made more difficult because now you have less time to actually do it. And the process of doing it under SB 202 and similar laws are very confusing for people. So I want any person who's a young person who's, who's voting for the first time to know that it is intentionally meant to be difficult. 
it is intentionally meant to be murky. We cannot look at the history of our democracy in this country and ignore the fact that voting has been made more difficult for certain people and made much much easier for others. So if you are a white male, frankly, it is easier for you to vote. Let's just name it because that's what it is. If you are a female, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're a, a, an immigrant, a new citizen, if you are someone with a disability, if you are someone who speaks another language, if you are someone with a gender that doesn't match, match what's on your identification, it is much more difficult for you to vote. And so it does make more difficult for young people to vote because the process of voting is already very scary. It's big, it's daunting. A lot of our young people don't feel like the process is even for them. But then on top of it, when you add those additional barriers of voter ID requirements that directly impact and attack our LGBTQ youth community, who now are nervous about showing up to a location if their IDs don't match their own humanity, the identity that they have for themselves. That's a big issue too. So there are several big hurdles that are in place for students right now that make it very big and very scary for them to access the ballot. But I do want to say that there's always room for us to participate, for youth to participate, because the fate of our nation and our democracy is in your hands. And I don't say that to be scary. I say that to be hopeful and uplifting, is that y'all are creating the nation, the democracy, the civilization that you want to live in. And so regardless of whatever these barriers are to voting, y'all still need to step up and step into this point of access. It is an entry point for you, stepping into this democracy, stepping into this civilization, this brand new world as your coming of age, as your coming of democratic age, right? It's important. So please do not feel um, like this process is not for you, even though it is deliberately made to be more difficult for you because this nation is yours and so is the, our democracy. A lot of us in this space, we know that young people in marginalized communities often get the rep for being apathetic. And really, there are a lot of other things in play, a lot of which you discussed about how it's intentionally made harder for these groups to vote. And I think, like you said, it's really important to name that and call that out and bring more attention to that. But also, like you said, to fight and push back against that because you've seen in 2020, and hopefully we'll see again in 2022, in 2021 and all the other years, um, just the power and the change that can come when we all collectively push back against it. What's one issue that you're passionate about advocating for that would help to expand access to the ballot? And as a follow-up, how can people who are listening join Wow. So that is a, a lovely question. One issue that I'm passionate about. So, of course, I am passionate about voting rights access. We can put that at the very top. And that's for the reasons that we had discussed before, because the rest of your, your rights hinge on the right to vote. It relies on the right to vote. And I'm passionate about people and people realizing their full humanity in their limited time that they're on earth. And I know this is supposed to be uplifting and I brought up mortality and I know that's not <laughs> a thing that's usually uplifting, but it is to me. And, and it is because 
we have this one limited time to be here, like a one limited time offer. And offers are usually a good thing. We think of them as something positive, as something that presents opportunities for us. And so in this lifetime that we all share, we all have this single one, I think that within it, we ought to be able to live the best life that we want to live, the best life that is available to us and the way that we can get that access. And when I'm talking about access, I don't just mean to a ballot box. I mean, yes, ultimately that's where it takes you, but that access is to clean air. It's to clean energies because clean water it's to uh, quality healthcare. It's to, um, you know, clean and good food that can fuel your body. So that way you're not living in a food desert where you have nothing but fast food places around you. Access to good quality jobs, jobs that can help you realize whatever it is that you need for your community. And being able to realize your identity, whatever that may be for you. These are the things that access to the ballot box will give you. Being able to have a say in, do I want to have a fast food place, another one in my neighborhood, or do I want to have a grocery store that actually has nutritious food for me and my family? Do I want to cancel student debt? Is that important to me so that I can realize a job that makes me feel fulfilled at the end of the day? And I don't feel like all I'm doing is paying back for a degree that I'll never be able to do anything with because I am buried under debt. That is what access to the ballot gives you. And so I'm passionate about advocating for this type of work because I'm advocating for a better quality of life for everyone, no matter what it is in this limited time that you're here, like, let's get it in. Let's feel excited about these good things that we want out of this life. And let's feel excited about it on our way to the ballot box. And so for people who are, are listening about um, my passions and want to know how, how I work to expand this work is number one, through the advocacy of the New Georgia Project, we work to register every single eligible voter across the state. Youth voters who just turned 18, people who are 17 and a half, by the way, if you are in the state of Georgia, by 17 and a half, you can register to vote. We are out here to help you register. We know that there are things that can be very confusing about the process, but we want you to show up and make sure that you are registered to vote. We also want you to become a super voter. And what that means is we want you to vote all the time. We don't want you to just think about a presidential or federal election as being the bar for voting because those are the splashy election years. That's when a lot of money are pouring in from campaigns to make people aware of the elections that are ahead. But we have these other important elections like this year, we have our municipal elections, our local elections. These are uh, for county seats. So your, your council person, your mayor's office, your judges, all of those people are you're, you're voting for this year, depending on which county you live in. In Georgia, we have 159 counties. Those are 159 ways to conduct an election here in Georgia. Those are just, that's just how, how our infrastructure is set up. The city of Atlanta, which is in Fulton County, is currently headed for a runoff in the mayoral election that's on November 30th. So for anybody who is interested in how to plug in, if you are in Georgia, we 
want you to be a super voter, which means that if you already voted on November 2nd and you are in the city of Atlanta, as we've gone to a runoff for November 30th, please show up and vote again because your vote counts and it matters. And we want you to be committed to voting, even in a quote, off year. I would say that there are no off years in voting. Every single year is a year to vote. It's a year in which we should feel invigorated about con connecting with our communities because that's what your vote actually does. So for people who want to help, start with registering, follow that up with becoming a super voter, voting in every single election cycle. And if you're interested in volunteering with us, we have opportunities. So you can, of course, volunteer with, um, and with our field or organizing policy or research teams because we back up all of our work with research. And when I say, you know, the things that, that young people are interested in, when I say something like, for example, in Georgia, 58% of the youth vote, voters age 18 to 29, um, went to Biden. And the youth vote made up 20% of the share of all voters cast in the presidential election in the state. Nationally, the youth vote made up only 17% of all votes cast. That's an amazing statistic for youth to hear and understand the power of their vote. That is the type of work that NGP does. That is what we do. We bring that research angle into this work to help empower voters and help them understand the value of what it is they're doing. If anybody out there is interested in um, voter protection work, so election protections type work where you're monitoring and tracking what's happening at the voting site, that is also work that we do. We're always accepting volunteers. The same goes with if you are a um, someone who is a little bit further in your professional career, let's say you were a paralegal or you're interested in law work, you've done administrative work, or even if you're a lawyer or someone who uh, completed law school, there is a place for you in our vote defender program where you can help us to help people who may be facing disenfranchisement through incarceration and other onerous policies to make it more difficult for people to vote by challenging their access to liberty and freedom. So tons of things that people can do. Please visit us at newgeorgiaproject.org. And of course, I will provide more information on how to reach out. That was a very long answer, but I hope it helped <laughs> to provide some clarity into what we do and why we think it's important. Yes, I prefer to say a very comprehensive answer. And I hope our listeners were very focused in because you just dropped the blueprint for how to start to enact change in your community. So I hope that our listeners follow up on that. What advice would you give to young people like myself who are passionate about advocating for voting rights? So number one, I would say you have to be resilient and you have to be determined in this work. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of things that are determined to stop you to do this work. And when I say things, and, and what I mean by that is there are policies, so you're going to hear about laws that make it more difficult for you to vote. That thing that you said um, when we were talking, those 19 states that have enacted about 33 laws that make it harder to vote, understand that you are coming up against things like that. You're also coming up against things like disinformation. So you have some groups who are anti-voting groups who want to tell people a lot of lies about our elections. These are things that we saw, particularly last year. Um, one of the big lies that descended into Georgia and indeed nationwide was about um, you know the former Trump, Mr. Trump, um, actually winning the last election, which we know is not true. Georgia faced a number of audits and recounts that confirmed that our elections were fraud-free, and that the legitimate result is that 
the state of Georgia delivered Kamala Harris and Joe Biden to the White House, along with Ossoff and Warnock. And these were historical wins and they were valid wins. So for people who are interested and passionate in this work, you have to be resilient, you must be determined, and you must not be deterred because there are several factors in play to make your job more difficult. And that's only because the power of the vote is so important and it's so meaningful. This is how you see change in your community. So please remember, this isn't going to be easy. It's going to be fun because you're going to be around other people that share the same passions that you share. And so feel um, replenished by the people that are within your network. You're going to meet some really great people and continue to do this work, even when it feels like it may be futile. Even when you show up to do the work with the best of your intentions and something happens to push your work back or to make you, you have to take a step back and maybe repeat something that you had done already because some Someone else has come along to destroy your work, essentially. Understand that it's important. Understand that it can be rebuilt and that you are in good company. You are within a community of advocates who are just as passionate in you as you are and who are willing to put forth the effort and the hours to make sure that everybody's humanity and sense of community is realized. So it's hard, it's a lot, but it's worth it and you're not alone. gives you hope at this moment? And how would you encourage the next generation of activists to maintain hope in the face of multiple challenges like the ones that you just mentioned? Um, so the main thing that gives me hope Hope is my own breath and the breath of others that I care about. The fact that I am here and that I'm still alive, that I have an opportunity to do something that's good for me and good for the people in my community. Um, the to, to give an example about this being hard and there still being room for hope, my mother, who I'm, I am super close to my mom, like I am a mama's girl. She got sick last year with COVID and the state of Georgia didn't shut down. The state of Georgia has never shut down, which means that my mother who has you know, served as a registered nurse and worked in nursing homes, caring for the elderly and the, the most immune compromised people, when she was afflicted with COVID, I knew that the state I knew that the nation wasn't thinking about her. I know that, you know, Governor Kemp was not doing anything to prevent my mother or others like her from contracting COVID or providing a remedy for COVID, such as, you know, a mask mandate or any of those things. And so I was very passionate about seeing my mom again. And so that's why I pushed through and did all the work that I did last year is because my mother was fighting through COVID. And even as she was sick, she said to that she needed to vote. And she said, look, how can I do this? How do I vote by mail? How can I get my absentee ballot out? Even though she was sick, she wanted to get back to her patients. Even though COVID at the time was very uncertain because she contracted it early on, she knew that voting was her only way out for herself and for her community. So even though that 
little vignette of a story sounds bleak, it's hopeful for me because the person that I love the most was dedicated to voting because she still had air. She still had breath in her body that was going to push her forward, that was going to put her in a place to help her community. And that's all she wanted to do. And that meant that that was my charge to do. I had this thing to do that could help the person that I love the most that can also help my community, that can also help realize change, not only within that community, but in my state and across the nation. So that's what gives me hope. The fact that a thing like a single breath in a body can mobilize a community, a person, a community, a state, and a nation. And that's the way that I look at it. I think of every single person as a, an, another note of a single breath that can push the momentum of this entire movement forward. And that's what gives me hope. That's what makes me happy. The fact that we are here and so we can do more because we are here in this one life that we have to make it a better life for ourselves and for our community. I'm not as elegant with my words as a cleaner. But what I will say is it gives me hope is that when I am, when I'm able to witness and see people come to that realization. And I think that especially in 2020, that was my first time coming and organizing. And just to be able to have those regular conversations with people in my life or with my friends and with my classmates and to see them really come to the realization on their own and to actually go out and vote because you know we're all organized and we know sometimes it's really hard to have those conversations and it's really hard to get people to make those connections and actually go out and push the button and to have seen people that i've known for so long these that have been um intentionally like self-selected themselves out of our democracy to come up and change their minds and really fight back against that is what gives me hope. I know that if I can do it on a small scale, then we can all do it on a larger scale and we can get to the larger change that we want to see. This concludes this episode of Live the Legacy podcast. Thank you so much to Aklima and Christina for this incredible conversation. If you'd like to learn more about the work of the Andrew Goodman Foundation, please visit our website at andrewgoodman.org and be sure to follow us on social media. A special shout out to Tabik Music for all of the music that you heard on today's episode. Until next time, this has been your host, Mo Banks. Thanks everyone.